0: Welcome to the GMAT Strategy Podcast. You're here because you believe there's a better way to study for the GMAT, and so do I. I created the GMAT Strategy to maximize your results and minimize your efforts so you can get to the fun parts about business school and life as quickly as possible. My name is Isaac Puglia, and I've been teaching GMAT classes and tutoring privately for the GMAT for over six years. And I personally have achieved a 99th percentile score on an official GMAT exam and helped hundreds of students get into the business schools of their choice. I'm excited to be a part of your MBA journey since I think the world can benefit from the best possible business leaders that we can find. And if this show is bringing you value, please share it with your friends and family who are studying for the GMAT so that together we can make this process as easy and painless for as many people as we possibly can. Let's go. Today, I wanna talk about a potentially controversial topic, how negative emotions and comparing yourself to others can actually help your GMAT score. I just wanna give a disclaimer in advance that this material might not resonate with every single one of you. And while I regret that, and I would love all of my episodes to resonate with every single person who engages with the podcast, I realize that while there are many issues that plague pretty much every GMAT test taker, there are certain segments of students who have different challenges. And ideally, this podcast addresses as many of those challenges as we possibly can. Like I say in every episode, I want this to touch as many lives as as we can. And that might mean addressing some subjects that are very important for some of you and not very important for others. So I apologize in advance if you wind up listening to this and don't find it valuable. The last thing I want to do is waste your time. In fact, I want to do the opposite, which is help you leverage your time as much as possible. But because I know that this is likely to help at least a few of you, I feel that it's worth discussing. So how did I arrive at this topic? Well, I had a really interesting tutoring session earlier this week, and going forward with the podcast, I'd like to share as many of the insights that I have with my student, tutoring students as I can. And this, I thought, was a really interesting one and a really powerful one that I personally have been utilizing to great effect a lot in my own life, and I'm very hopeful that many of you will get a lot of mileage out of this material, even if it is maybe simple. So in this meeting, we were talking about what was holding this person back and we were going through a lot of diagnostics and thinking about, okay, is it a material issue? Do you just not know the material well enough? Are there certain gaps in your your skills or your knowledge? And it turned out that that was almost certainly not the case for this person. In fact, uh, this person was extremely strong, had spent many, many hours studying and was a very, very talented student and performer on standardized tests. But what was happening is as we were working through problems this person was making a lot of mistakes and She would often choose the right strategy on a question but not be able to finish executing the strategy because um, maybe she missed a word in the question or she missed a critical step like a negative distributing a negative sign or something like that and we kept going through a few examples of this and it, it kept happening pretty regularly and We started talking about it and I started just sharing my observations with her and we were digging into it and we eventually realized that She was in a pretty difficult emotional space um, Probably for the past couple months She is is regularly involved with a peer group who's extremely high achieving We're talking like top 1% of people from the top 1% of universities in the United States and she also had had some pretty negative interactions with a few admins at some target programs who had been a little cruel to her in in giving her some some feedback. It was important feedback, but it was given in a way that was just difficult to digest and 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 just painful and Some of that had started to build up in her psyche i I just noticed looking from the outside in and it's it's my job to be perceptive in those situations so as we as we discussed it, it turned out that She was feeling pretty down on herself, and she was feeling very frustrated, and she had had a couple friends recently get extremely high scores with very little study effort. And it just got me thinking, so many of us are in this situation where we're comparing ourselves to the people around us, we're comparing ourselves to people online, and it's not helping. It's not helping us. It's it's making us get down on ourselves, it's making us want to give up. And it's actually making us perform worse. It's, it's decreasing the actual skills that we already have because we're so emotional, we're so pent up, we're so frustrated, we're so tense while we're doing questions that we're making mistakes that we don't have to make. So we had a very productive conversation after that, and I'm not going to share everything that we talked about, but I do want to distill the core message down for you here right now and give you some tools that might seem a little silly, but can actually make a substantive difference. And I want you to at least give them a shot. If they don't work, if they don't resonate, that's fine. There are plenty of other things you can do in these types of situations, but I think you owe it to yourself to at least try this out and see if it can help you. Now, one other disclaimer before we get into the specifics is, again, I am not a psychologist, I'm not a medical professional, this is not medical advice, and the strategies that I'm about to relay to you are not necessarily designed to make you feel better. They're just designed to help you increase your GMAT score and become more resilient in that situation. If you're struggling emotionally, you must reach out for help immediately. You should pause, pause this podcast right now and call a friend or Google the closest therapist to you or set up an appointment where you can get the help that you need. And it is not weakness to ask for help it is weakness to lie to yourself and pretend that this is not affecting you when it really is. The most strength you can show is honesty with yourself and honesty with other people and reaching out for help when you know it can help you. So with all that being said, let's let's get into this, okay? So there's a lot of advice out there. And, and I've given this and, and I've used this to, to great effect when I'm having a difficult time emotionally in a pressurized situation. And a lot of people will say, oh, you need to shut that out. You need to stop comparing yourself to other people. You need to put your head down. You need to put the blinders on and work. And you need to run your own race, if, you, if you're familiar with that term. And stop comparing yourself to other people. That's not going to help you. And here's the reality. I think in many situations that's great advice. In many situations, that is true. Many times, it's valuable to forget about what other people are doing and just focusing on how you are going to get from where you are to where you want to be. But I did a lot of reflecting on that, and I realized that that's not true 100% of the time. In many situations, competition actually does motivate you to do better, and it does motivate you to sharpen your performance and get a better outcome. So the real question is, how do we use that? How do we leverage that situation to our gain? if we must. So here's my take on this. I think that emotions are really just a form of energy. And that's very reductionistic, obviously, reductionist. It's obviously emotions are a huge part of the human experience. But here's a productive way to think about them for the GMAT. Emotions are a form of energy. And you can think about certain types of emotions that push you towards certain actions, such as motivation. Motivation might make you wanna study an extra hour. Whereas fatigue, a different type of sensation or or emotion, would push you in another direction. It might make you wanna stop early and both of those things can be good to listen to in the moment. The point I wanna make is how you allow that emotion to influence your actions is a choice. That's a choice that you have agency in. For example, many of us have been fatigued and gone to work anyway. We're, We're probably all familiar with that experience, some of us on a regular basis. Um, at other times, you might be motivated to do something, and you might be motivated to study longer, but you've given your word that you're going to go out with your friends because you haven't seen them in a few weeks, and it's very important to you to keep your word in your relationships. So I'm saying that, yes, motivations are uh, emotions are a huge driving factor for us in terms of the actions we take, but we still have agency in those situations. In fact... I discovered something very interesting recently, which is that chemically in our bodies, the emotion of excitement and the emotion of nervousness before a performance are basically identical. And what influences the effect that that chemical sensation has on us is whether we interpret it as negative or positive, which is super powerful. And uh, if you do some research online about reframing emotions, you'll find a lot of pretty fascinating perspectives on this. I don't know that all of them are right. I don't know that all of them are productive, but it's worth looking into if you find that as interesting as I do. So let's try to get tactical and talk about how do we actually use these emotions. If you think about emotions that many of us experience during our studies, such as not being good enough, fear, loneliness, isolation, rejection, self-judgment, and the list goes on... Oftentimes those will either make you want to give up or just shut down physically and emotionally because they're extremely painful. And most of us do not want to experience more pain in our lives. We've got enough of that and we're looking for more pleasure and more enjoyment and more satisfaction, more positive emotions. We're trying to magnify that. But here's my take. I think that instead of taking those emotions and letting them shut you down... You want to instead channel those emotions into a different action, channel the energy of those negative emotion into specific actions. So let's try to clarify this because this can get a little dicey. Let's say you notice you're getting sad and you're worried that things aren't going to work out. You're just you're having a bad day studying. Maybe you just missed a bunch of practice questions in a row and you're just really down on yourself. It's totally fine to be upset it's fine to allow that emotion to fill your body, it's fine to cry, it's fine to whimper, it's time to, it's, it's totally fine to, to squeeze your hands because you're, you're angry and you're frustrated, that's okay. As long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting anybody around you, it's fine to just allow that feeling. But what you wanna to start to do is practice not translating that into giving up, but instead it channeling it into two specific things. And you might laugh at this, but this really matters. The first is reading things extremely carefully. You want to channel that energy into reading very, very carefully. And the second thing you want to channel that energy into is writing more things down. That's it. Reading carefully and writing more things down. Now, I'll add one more thing to that later, but let's get into reading and writing because these are just inescapably essential to your success on an exam like the GMAT. So... Why better reading? Well, that, that might be obvious. <laughs> if you're getting emotional and you miss a word in a sentence correction or you miss a word in a math problem, then you could be completely right with your logic from that point forward, but now you're doing a bunch of correct math or a bunch of correct reasoning on the wrong setup. It's like building a beautiful house with no foundation. It's it's just not going to work out. Same thing with scratch work. If you set up the problem well, but then your emotions are distracting you to the degree that you're skipping steps or you're missing negative signs or you're doing five times five equals 17 or something like that, then you're going to hurt your performance. So when you're angry, you want to read more angrily. (laughs) Channel that into reading emotionally, but clearly, focused, and you want to write slowly and angrily and you want to write more down. You want to write down everything that's being given in the problem, everything that's being asked, and every single step that you're taking mentally on the way to the right answer. If you're scared or you're nervous, you want to read more scared. Focus that on reading very well and writing more down. It's to- Again, it's totally fine to feel the energy of these emotions. We just wanna channel that energy into productive actions instead of getting up and leaving the test center and going home because it's just too much to bear. Now, of course, if you're having that super, super strong uh, emotional reaction and you're getting into the panic attack territory, then yes, you should go home, you should get professional help, and you should deal with that. And And it sucks that that's an aspect of your test taking if you're in that boat. It's it's unfair. It's very, very unfair. Most of this test is unfair, and some people have a huge advantage while other of others of us either don't have those advantages or have huge disadvantages. But that doesn't change what you need to do to get the result that you want, and I think you should... Seek the help that you need, get that help, and then go back for another try. And eventually, if you don't give up, in my opinion, you will hit your score. As long as you're intelligent about the way you approach it. So here's how you can practice this and build this skill. Next time you're feeling down, I want you to grab an official guide question ideally, but it it could be a question from another source if that's all you have handy. And you might want to keep a couple photographs of official guide questions on your phone if you find you're getting upset regularly so you can have this handy when you're ready to go. And what I want you to do is even if you don't know how to solve that problem, I just want you to channel that negative emotion in the moment into flawless comprehension of the question, writing down everything that's given and asked, and then executing as much perfect scratch work as you can until you reach the limits of your knowledge on that question. If you get the question right, hey, great. Great. If you get the question wrong or you realize I don't even know where to begin on this question, that's okay. You did the right thing by just focusing on reading well and writing well. And I'll talk more about that in a second. Now, if you don't know how to do it, just make a note to learn that stuff later. But it's repetitive practice of channeling that emotion into the right actions that's going to help you when you're under pressure on test day. Because consistent process is what yields consistent results. I'll say that again. A consistent process is what yields consistent results and if you're often improvising if some days you're having really good days and other days you're having really bad days you'll see these wild fluctuations in your score that can be extremely frustrating and at that point you're letting luck play into your results a lot more than you have to and that could play to your advantage if it's a lucky day when you go to take the GMAT but obviously it could play to your disadvantage and we want to manage our downside as much as possible in this process because studying for and taking the GMAT for most of us is not super fun. And we just want to go to B-school. So your mantra should be, the slower I start, the faster I finish. That's very counterintuitive, but the slower people start problems, usually the faster they finish. Because what's interesting is most people don't burn too much time on GMAT questions, Doing the right solution. <laughs> That's not where most people's time is being wasted. Most people's time is being wasted in in one of two or both arenas. One is spending a lot of time on questions that you don't know how to do and that you know you don't know how to do, but you just refuse to give up on them. That's a problem. And the other place time gets wasted is you miss something important in the wording of the question or in your setup or in your scratch work and then you do a bunch of perfect math and you get to the the answer and that answer is not in the answer choices and now you have to reread and re-execute the problem. So instead, you wanna just focus on doing things once the right way, even if that means starting a little bit slower And, and you might have to battle yourself a little bit in those moments and the voice in your head might be saying, oh, we don't have time to read this slowly, we don't have time to do this. And you have to force yourself to calm that part of you down and say, no, that's not true. That's not true. Actually, if I go slowly at the beginning of this problem, I'm likely to finish it faster. And that can be a little counterintuitive. So you need to practice that. You need to practice talking yourself off the ledge in those situations. And here's why this works. If you start slow, you're either gonna get the problem right in a reasonable amount of time, because again, people don't usually waste time getting questions right or doing things correctly and just doing them too slowly. And even if you are in that situation, that's an easy fix. You just need more repetition so you can get faster at doing the right thing. Go back and take the test a few weeks or a few months later, you're gonna do great. That's, That's an easy problem to solve as a student. So you'll either get the problem right in a reasonable amount of time or you'll, you'll in a reasonable amount of time, realize it's going to take you too long or that you don't know how to do it and you'll be able to take a random guess quickly and avoid the second pitfall, which is burning a bunch of time trying to get questions that you're clear you don't know how to do right. And anytime you're thinking, oh, I should know how to do this or I studied this, but it's just not clicking, what, what you're really saying to yourself in those moments, everybody, is that you don't know how to do that problem in that moment and that's okay. That's okay. Because of the adaptive nature of the test, we're all probably going to miss a lot of questions on the GMAT. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about when I say that, just check out the video on my website. I'll, uh, I'll tell you the link at the end of this, this podcast. It's just the GMATstrategy.com. I'll tell you right now. And within the first 20 minutes, I give you just the basics of the way the GMAT scoring algorithm works, and you'll realize why so many people miss so many questions on the test. The test is designed to keep giving you harder and harder questions until you start missing some of them. Now, maybe you're one of those very, very, very rare people who's in the 0.000000001% who gets every single question right. I don't even know if those people are out there every year. In fact, I've never seen a statistic that shows that some people have definitely gotten every single question right on their GMAT. But my guess is at least a few of those folks are out there, and that's great. That's great. Good for you if you're one of those folks. If you're like me, even though you got a 99th percentile score, I got a 760, I still probably only got about 80% of questions right in my GMAT. I probably got about 90 to 95% in the verbal. That's, that's, it's very difficult to get a super high verbal score without uh, getting almost every single question right. It's just the way the score curve works. But in math, I was probably somewhere between 60 and 70%, even though I got a 49. So that might be kind of shocking to some of you, but it's a very important reality to internalize and uh, that's why I created the, the GMAT strategy digital video class to help you strategize around that if you're not already sure how to strategize around that. If you're already in a class and you feel comfortable with your strategy, then great, that's, that's probably sufficient. So getting back to the issue at hand here, the key is if you set up problems right and you do the math right, you're almost certainly going to get a score that's in line with your abilities on test day. And that's all we're after on test day. We just want to avoid getting scores that don't reflect our actual abilities. If you read well and you execute well, assuming your timing is okay, which we'll get into in a second, if you don't miss anything you know, then by definition, you've hit your peak score on that day. Now, if that's still not high enough for you, that's okay. You just need to learn more. Again, that's, that's a relatively easy fix. That just takes time and repetition and good material sources, such as Manhattan Prep Strategy Guides or a reputable digital classes or reputable in-person classes or other reputable strategy guides. The frustration comes when your score does not match your abilities, and this is just unbelievably common. This is why I was meeting with this person in the first place who I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. She's like, hey, I know all this stuff. Why is my score not where I want it to be? I need some professional guidance on this. Unfortunately, we were able to have a good breakthrough. So if you've studied a ton and your score's not in line with that, that's really going to hurt. That's really, really going to hurt, and that's actually what happened to me at the beginning of my studies, and my score was actually going down as I was studying more, and again, if you check out that video on the website, or if you've seen that already, you you know I share my story at the very beginning of that, which is very painful, and I try to revisit it as infrequently as possible, but I did put it in the video for, for everybody's benefit. If you really went all out, and you used all the time you had to study, and you executed well on test day even though it was difficult or painful in the moment, and you ended up getting a score that you're happy with, you might be a little bit sad that your friend got a slightly higher score without studying as much as you. But you probably won't care that much because you're already getting what you want. You're already getting what you want. So it's not going to burn that much that someone else got a 770 without studying that much if you got your 710 and then got into Harvard Business School, which was your goal all along. You'd think, okay, that's kind of a bummer. I wish life was more fair. But... It's not in those situations, but I still got what I wanted, so I can let that go. What's going to burn is if you allow comparing yourself to those other people to impact your performance negatively and impact your identity negatively. Because here's the thing. Having a moment of weakness, everybody, that does not make you a weak person. Having a moment of weakness does not make you a weak person. Having a moment of sadness does not mean that you're not as good as someone else. Maybe you're not. Maybe they are actually better than you. Maybe that hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts. But comparing yourself to those people will only, helpful, only help you if you find a way to channel that emotional energy into something productive. If you allow it to take you off course and steer you in the wrong direction, that's when we get a lot of sadness and a lot of pain. Second point of focus, this is actually very important, and then we'll wrap up here in a moment. Your time management has to be good enough on the GMAT. And again, if if you don't know why that's true, just check out the video on my website again. So here's what I want you to do. When you're doing this exercise, when you're noticing you're down, you're experiencing these negative emotions, you're gonna grab a GMAT problem, you're going to read it extremely carefully, 10 times if you have to, you're gonna write down everything that's given, everything you're asked, you're gonna double check that by reading the problem again and making sure everything you've written down is perfect. Again, you're not worried about time in this situation, you're just worried about practicing channeling your emotional energy, even if it's slow. And then you're going to do your best to execute on that problem, even if it's difficult. Now, right after you've done that, whether you get the problem right or wrong, whether you're feeling better or not, I want you to check your schedule for the rest of the day, whatever you're doing. If, if it's day off, it's for work day. I just want you to check your schedule for the rest of the day and ask, am I on track with my schedule today or not right now? And if I'm not, is there anything I can do to catch up? Just ask yourself that question. And then if you can and you want to go further, take an action to catch up If you if you have to or congratulate yourself for being on track. Because... What you want to do during the exam is you want to complete the questionnaire on as best as you possibly can by channeling that negative emotional energy if it does come up, or when you're studying, and then you want to check the clock and ask, am I ahead or behind on my pacing plan? And if I'm behind, how do I catch up? And again, the way you'll make that happen automatically on test day when you're under pressure is practicing it repetitively before the test. That's the point of preparation. One final note. This... This process of channeling this negative emotional energy into more practice questions and doing your practice questions differently or just randomly throughout the day, grabbing, going to the bathroom at work and doing a practice question in the stall because you're like, I'm really upset right now. I'm feeling kind of down. I should do a GMAT problem to practice this. This probably won't make you feel any better. (laughs) It, It may not actually help the emotional side of things. I said this at the beginning, but it's, it's worth repeating. Especially in the moment, it might actually make you feel worse because now all of a sudden you're doing a really hard GMAT problem that you might not know how to do and that can, that can really, really hurt. But that's okay, that's okay. This strategy is not designed to make you feel better. It's designed to help your performance on the GMAT. So once again, if you are really struggling emotionally or if you're still feeling really, really bad or you're feeling worse after engaging with some of this stuff, just congratulate yourself for doing the right thing in terms of your preparation and then call your friend or call a family member or call call someone who you know can give you the emotional support that you need in that moment and do everything you can to, to feel better because feeling good is what most of us are after in life and if there's any way that you can feel good while you're studying for the GMAT, then my perspective is you should try to maximize that as much as possible and that that brings me to my last point here which is I've realized that while it may be good advice in many situations to stop comparing yourself to people I've realized that a lot of my students and even myself in many situations are probably not going to stop comparing ourselves to other people and that's often a big reason that we want to go to a great business school in the first place maybe status is really really important to us maybe status is a core value for you Maybe you want to really feel like your car is nicer or your house is nicer or you live in a nicer area than the people around you. That really matters to a lot of people. And I don't think that's shameful unless you allow it to hurt other people, in which case that's just my opinion. But I think if you're not hurting anybody else, sky's the limit. If you value status, I think you should be honest with yourself about that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do what makes you happy. We all have a limited time on planet Earth as of now. So spend it feeling as good as you can and pursuing the things that you want. But many of us are going to experience the downside of that if we are attached to material gains, status symbols, if we're in a hyper-competitive environment where we do value ourselves based on how well we're performing versus the people around us. And there's a lot of evolutionary reasons that people argue we often feel that way as human beings. So while I do think that you should do everything you can to spend the majority of your time focusing on yourself and what you want and what you want to create and why that's beautiful so that you can have the most positive emotional energy in your studies, the fact of the matter is, you may end up experiencing some darker times. Most of us, if not all of us will when we're studying for the GMAT. And in those situations, I do not suggest shutting those emotions down unless you know that they're destructive to you. Instead what I do is, instead what I recommend is Prioritizing rest if you need it. If fatigue is really slowing you down, then you must rest. There's no way around that. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago in, in the last couple podcasts, actually, because we want effective hours, not just a boatload of very tired, steady hours that don't add up to anything. That's how you waste a lot of time. But instead of allowing those negative emotions to take you off track, practice. This is a skill that you might not be good at at the beginning. You might suck at this for the next month. But if you continue to practice, you'll get better. Practice channeling that emotional energy into specific actions that will help you on the exam. So, like I said, this may not resonate, resonate with all of you. Try it out. Let me know how it goes. If you have feedback on this, if you think it's total BS, I'm totally open to that. If you think it's amazing and it's really helping you, I want to know that too. As always, my greatest hope is that this content will make your studies as easy and as painless as they can possibly be. If you'd like more tips and strategies for optimizing your performance on the GMAT, I've already mentioned my website several times, but just head to thegmatstrategy.com and check out my video presentation on how to achieve your dream GMAT score in half the normal time and with half the normal effort. In the meantime, this is a weekly show, so please subscribe, and as always, stay positive and stay consistent with your studies. And if you're feeling negative, now you know what to do. I'll talk to you soon.